Blog Talk Radio. So 213, is that a lucky number? Two and three, five, one and six, six. Yeah, that's not bad. Not a bad number. <clears throat> My uh, six-year-old's turning seven this week. So so isn't seven the number of suffering? <laughs> is having a seven-year-old <laughs> uh, uh, the very definition of suffering? That kid argues with you. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's a... Uh, it's a great, you know, we had our first snow of the year uh, last night, and uh, by golly, it was uh, it was wondrous. Um, and um, Lord, Lord, um, uh, just a beautiful thing. And uh, we had nice snow this morning, and snow in the uh, yard, and snow on the roof, and snow on the car. And uh, gosh, that little seven year old was excited. You know, uh, who else was excited? Joint in my body <laughs> every sixty. Call dropped last week. We had no internet whatsoever, and uh, just now the call dropped. And, and you know when the call drop drops, there's a siren that goes off um, at about a hundred decibels in our um, ear. So I'm assuming um, this is a blog talk issue. I don't know though. Uh, Somebody in a truck at about 60 miles an hour hit the power pole right across the street from us, and it has been a disaster ever since. The uh, uh, the utility crew that came out to fix it, I mean, this guy wrapped his truck around this power pole, um, 
and took a power pole and a tree down in the front yard of the people who live right across, directly across the street. I mean, on my front porch, you can just go across the street and see this disaster. And uh, he had to have been driving at 60 to 70 uh, miles an hour down a 30 mile per hour residential street to destroy his truck that way. So was it alcohol? Was it texting? You know, it was stupidity at any rate. And uh, we heard a big boom and they dropped the new power pole in the street uh, off the truck. And it was it was like the Three Stooges and the Marx Brothers had combined on a project. So they may actually knock our phone lines out. They may knock our power lines out. They may knock my house down for all I know. So we may get dropout tonight. It may just be that time of year where misfortune rules. But, you know, we hope not. We hope not. We surely hope not. We hope that doesn't that doesn't happen. Um, so we'll we'll just carry on. We'll just carry on as much as we can. I know my tablet just turned off, so uh, there's all kinds of weird things happening tonight. Perhaps we're haunted and perhaps we're cursed. You know, who knows? Who knows? But we are at the Crystal Silence League, which was founded in um, 1917 by Mr. Claude Alexander Conlon for the purpose of projecting positive prayer and affirmation to all those in need of such. And uh, Mr. Conlon, I believe, uh, lived by the same rule that I do. Um, um, Always remember the rule. Never lose your cool. And, I mean, being a one-person producer of the show, it's just me. Uh, A lot of our shows have two or three people, you know, running it. It's just me here. Um, You must always... Always remember that. Never lose your cool. So uh, I'm kind of like a guy in a boat, and there's a leak in it, and the engine is sputtering, and I'm bailing with one hand and pulling the string on the motor with the other. Uh, At any given time, you would never believe if you sat here in this room with me all the things I'm juggling at one time trying to make everything work out and uh, pulling it together for your enjoyment, for your spiritual enjoyment. So where was I? Yeah, the Crystal Silence League. If you go to www.crystalsilenceleague.org, you basically see us, our web presence, and uh, lots of stuff on there. And, uh, uh, oh, there's all kinds of uh, activity going on in our chat room. If you're not in our chat room right now, you're missing all sorts of activity. We have uh, our uh, usual uh, spiritual lineup. Um the uh, Rabbi Jeremy Weiss and the Reverend uh, Tony I and uh, Doc Murphy is there. And uh, we get a few others that drop in uh, randomly. And I guess when they have nothing else better to do, they come by and uh, come and join us and chat. It's always fun, always an adventure. You never know what happens in the Crystal Silence League chat room. You never know what happens here. And right now they appear to be speaking in um, Esperanto um, to each other. uh, all sorts of stuff going on here. I think there was a marriage proposal earlier. I'm not sure what was going on here. It's, it's rather uh, rather uh, unexpected and unprecedented, most unprecedented. What are we talking about tonight? Moldavite. We're talking about Moldavite. Moldavite is a very interesting stone. Um, it is a tektite, it is believed. Tektites being from not of this world that they arrived on Earth from outer space in the form of uh, meteorites. It's, that's what some people think. Um, uh, basically, Moldavite are uh, 
it's a glass. It's, you know, it's a glass believed to form as a result of interplanetary collisions. Um, so it's a fusion of our good earth and extraterrestrial energies. That in and of itself makes t- any kind of tech type fascinating. It's a fusion of out there with down here, the heaven and the earth combined. That in and of itself, a tech type should be in your collection. Just that alone. That alone makes these things worthwhile. So the Moldavite's a beautiful green, glassy uh, object. It usually has an etched surface with all kinds of weird convolutions and uh, patterns that many people will look into and scry, and these things will seem to move around and uh, spell out and uh, uh, in runes and mystic patterns. And uh, um, so these um, green Moldavite stones will connect to the heart chakra and move around and uh, reintegrate the heart chakra and manipulate it and connect it to all sorts of energies, both earthly and extraterrestrial. Um, And um, um, most of the tech types from around the world, you'll find them in there usually lumpy molten looking brownish black things, but this is green. Um, Um, you know, why is that? We we don't know. Most tectites are, you know, they're meteorites, right? They're molten. They look like slag, right? Uh, molten, brown, melted things. But these are beautiful green gemstones. Or why? You know, who knows? We don't know. Um, and usually they're disc-shaped. They're flattened. They look like, you know, they were splat, splat. So their history must be very interesting. And um, But they got these wrinkled and carved and etched surfaces. Uh, very magnificent. So they... Uh, They've been prized throughout forever. And uh, the reason they're called Moldavite is because they're found in one place. um, And uh, that's uh, Moldavia. Well, they're found in Czechoslovakia, uh, the Moldau River, and uh, um, uh, near the Moldau River. And uh, so, um, so apparently some large, probably Titanic meteorite, um, collided about 15 million years ago uh, in this plateau near that river. So the heat of the impact created a uh, a field of these tectites, of, you know, moldavites strewn um, uh, all throughout the area. And uh, so farmers uh, plowing the fields and, you know, people just – walking around would find these stones and they were like, well, what are these? Well, I don't know, but they're really cool. And when the rains would come or the floods would come or the thaws would come, they'd come to the surface. So, um, but now they're being mined, you know, people mine for them. And so, you know, you can find them. Um, So anyway, these, um, uh, they work on the heart chakra. So if you're bitter, depressed, hate, you know, hateful, have that bitter energy, um, that stale, energy where you've been uh, storing up resentment, anger, etc. This is good for uh, your meditation is where you're trying to release all that. Um, and it um, can, uh, many people feel that the meditation on those etchings can reveal uh, heart knowledge, you know, things that you know, but you don't know. And uh, uh, it's good for sensitive souls uh, to uh, release hurt. Uh, very powerful uh, stone for meditation and dream work. And um, uh, uh, very good for 
releasing sorrow, good for releasing grief. Uh, I, I don't uh, prescribe stones uh, on the show for uh, physical work, but um, uh, many people have used it for uh, the endocrine system, uh, uh, for uh, things like gout, asthma, uh, allergies, uh, skin conditions. Um, always consult your doctor for things like this. Uh, stones can help you very much with um, your meditation while you're healing. And anyway, that's Moldavite. Um, very fascinating stone. I really kind of think it's cool. It's a very cool stone. I like the tectites. You know, tectites can also help protect your electronics during times like mercury retrograde when, te- when electronics and communication devices tend to crash periodically. Tungsten and tectites uh, put them around your electronics and that can uh, reduce the amount of uh, problems you have with uh, um, uh, uh, electronic crashing. So there we go. Hey, we're, we're picking up people in chat. That's cool. That's cool. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Crystal Silence League chat room. We just love that. All right. So if you go to crystalsilenceleague.org, uh, go to the prayer page, you'll see that we have lots and lots of prayers. We get about 200 a week sometimes. Um, uh, unfortunately, that's that's about five people. They, they, they post they post 25 prayers each, but uh, no, we don't. Uh, we had we'd have people who uh, post multiple prayers. We we wish you would don't, would not repeat your prayers. Um, uh, you don't. Prayers are not cumulative. Qu- uh, quantity is not quality with prayers. If you post your prayers ten times, that doesn't mean you're going to get ten times the uh, the prayer benefit. Um, because um, a lot of us will just go in there and uh, delete those uh, uh, duplicate prayers. Um, we have 333 reported prayers right now that we're going to have to go in and delete. And I bet most of those are uh, duplicate prayers and uh, 333 reported posts pending review. Yep. And so when I'm through my show tonight, I'm going to go and review some of those. And I'll bet most of those are repeated prayers. So all you're doing really is making extra work for the pastors. And so uh, don't don't do that. Don't post your prayer more than once. But anyway, let's start one zero zero two. I need some moldavite. I'm complaining. I'm I'm complaining here. I need some moldavite. One zero zero two nine zero. Who says in Jesus's name I decree and declare that the names of God hold the same power and force they have ever held throughout time, even as changes occur throughout creation and in the heavenlies. The names of God are made brand new. The names of God are in full power. Behold, all things have become anew. Even the names of God, old things are cast away. The newness and power of God's names will be constant throughout all time and all existence. They will ward off all evil for all who need it. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a great way to start. Prayer ID 100288, who prays for strength. Protection, guidance, and deliverance. Amen. Very, very good. Um, prayer ID 100286, and somebody else has given us a psalm. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. 
thou hast set our iniquities before thee, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish upon us the work of our hands, yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. That's Psalm 90. Thank you. Amen. Prayer ID 100285, who says, permanently remove M.W., who is a female, from M.K.'s heart, who is a male. Make them despise each other right now. Make this woman leave M's life and destroy his relationship with her. Permanently break them up. All communication and interaction stops for good right now. Make M break his heart for another man and moves on. Amen. And what have we here? Prayer ID 100284. Who prays that DMM comes back to JMM. D can't wait to see J and their three kids. D misses J and their little family that they have created together more than anything. And he's sorry about what he has done and knows that he made a mistake. D would give anything to have J and their little family that they have created together back with him again. Amen. Okay, hang on. There's like 10 prayers. Okay. Prayer ID 100274, who says, I'm someone who suffers from anxiety on a daily basis. I absorb energies unintentionally regularly. I have to pass these exams in order to stay in pharmacy school. And even with COVID-19, we do not get any second chances. I cannot do this alone And I have tried. I need prayer for my anxiety to finish and pass the final exams to pass the classes. And so I can find focus and strength to have information retention during the study process. I cannot afford to fail again because of anxiety. Amen. That test anxiety is a problem. It really is. Prayer ID 100273. Who? is praying praying for healing for my son's eye i pray both my sons are protected during the school year and for protection and increased immunity for me my children and family during this time i also pray for protection for my brother whose initial is c and that things will go well at his new job and that he is comforted and supported during this time thank you for praying praying your prayers are answered too amen Prayer ID 100272, praying for safe travels for me and my family. I pray we are protected throughout our journey and for continued healing for me and my daughter. Thank you for your prayers. Amen. Prayer ID 100271, today my husband, let's see, is this today? Yeah, today, December 1st. Today my husband will put an offer on the East 18th Street. May the sellers find it sweet and acceptly quickly. Without counter-offering, in the name of God, the creator of the universe, St. Michael, Archangel, and all the other archangels, all the saints, my guardian angels, and all the angels, no other offers will be accepted, and the house is mine. Amen. Let's see. Uh, Now, is this? Must be exam season. Prayer ID 100270. 
Father, thank you for giving me the strength, guiding me through the process, and bringing to me certain partners to help in studying for and surviving this beast of an exam. I'm truly appreciative. You brought me to this point. Now carry me to a passing result so that I may continue forth to my destiny and to finish what was started but got sidetracked because of listening to others, stupidity, doubt, etc., all in the past. Here's to the bright future. Amen. Prayer ID 100269. Thank you. This platform has saved me and granted so many things in due time. Thank you. I'm in a better place now. I call my financial abundance to rain down upon me, binding all unwanted actions. Amen. Let's find one more. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Oh, here we are. Prayer ID. One double zero two six zero asking for prayer, heart healed and healing for any breast or lung cancer, asking for restful sleep, asking that negative energy be removed from me. Thank you so much for your time on this. Amen. And one double zero two five nine. I humbly ask for prayer for my Yorkie C, who's been experiencing severe digestive upsets after he had a successful surgery. Three weeks ago. Let's have a moment of prayer and uh, affirmation for all those in need of comfort and support. Amen. I got kicked out again there just a minute ago. This may happen a few times tonight. If so, bear with us. Because apparently when I get booted out, I can kick right back in. Uh, you know, it's not my internet. This is blog talk. So we'll we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. We survive. We move right on. Our um, topic tonight... Um, we're going to pick up where we left off, um, and I think that um, we can pick right back up. We were talking about some of the problems you encounter when um, you're doing magic, and 
this whole concept of uh, me, 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 I, 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 mine, mine, mine comes up. And that that's a, a real problem. And we had left off uh, discussing about the whole idea of uh, um, how this whole concept of uh, identity and self arises uh, according to uh, the teachings of the Buddha. And one thing we have to understand is that uh, the Buddha uh, arose at a period and in a geographical place where pretty much every belief we have today existed. There were atheists, there were theists, there were uh, monotheists and polytheists, um, people who believed in reincarnation, people who believed that when you died, you ended, annihilationists. There were pretty much everything we believe today uh the same thing, believe then, skeptics, all the arguments that skeptics and atheists bring up now, you'll find in the ancient text 3,000 years ago. There are no new arguments whatsoever. And this, this I, I get tired of it. I read it and they go, well, what about this? I say, well, why don't you just go back 3,000 years you know, and, and read what people said about this brilliant idea that you think you're the first person to ever think of. Um, and um, so – um, what we had left off last time was that about the five aggregates of attachment are dukkha and um, that these attachments that arise are never the same in any two consecutive movements uh, moments um, so that A does not ever equal A B does not ever equal B um, Everything is in a flux of momentary arising and dis-cheetahs. And they're uh, uh, – and that's the stream of consciousness. And um, as Buddha said, We will push through this. Uh, apparently, I'm going to just get booted every uh, few minutes or so, but uh, hopefully not every few minutes or so. We'll just keep going on. So the stream of consciousness flows and flows and changes every moment. And uh, uh, as Buddha told his son, the world is in continuous flux and is impermanent. One thing disappears and one thing reappears. But everything conditions the reappearance of the next thing. And so these five aggregates together, which we uh, commonly call a being that we think of, you know, as uh, John or Jeremy or Tony or Doc Murphy, um, are dukkha itself. And uh, no other being, no other I standing behind those five aggregates. There's not an observer, in other words. So Buddha Gosa, the uh, commentator, said, suffering exists, but no sufferer is found. There are deeds, but no doer of the deed. Now, that is a, a, a very profoundly uh, disturbing thing um, when, you, when you stop to think about it. Um, 
a friend of mine who's a monk posted a meme on Facebook. There were Buddhist memes, by the way. Buddha, Buddhists will post Buddhist memes, which, when you think about it, is um, memes were made for Buddhists. You think about it, bo- memes are the very essence of uh, Buddhism. So <laughs> they had uh, like these two children cowering in the corner looking at a rabbit, and uh, the two children said, meditators uh, experiencing uh, emptiness, and the rabbit uh, said uh, emptiness, <laughs> and it was really funny. Um, so, um, so there's no there's only movement. It's really funny that I'm talking about impermanence and uh, and this keeps happening. Isn't that funny? Uh, so once upon a time, there was a man named Rene Descartes, and he rather arrogantly proposed, I think, therefore, I am. And Buddha would say, no, you don't, and no, you don't. Here's Rene Descartes, I think, therefore I am. And Buddha would say, no, you don't. And no, you're not. So our Western society, really, and Western um, cognitive science is based on this uh, Cartesian notion that I think, therefore I am. That is the very summation of ego, right? I am. I am. And that is the root of all problems in the world. I am. So... The Buddha says, no, no, you don't think, and no, you are not. And that, and that, at that point, all suffering exists, all, all suffering ends. So, but then there's this metaphysical question, uh, does life have a beginning? Does life, is there a moment in history begins? And, uh, you know, to the... Uh, People who believe in a creator, they go, well, of course, God, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. But according to the Buddhist teachings, the beginning of the life stream of living beings is unthinkable. Uh, The believer in the creation of life by God is just utterly astonished by this, right? But there's a very simple uh, uh, test for this. If you say, how did the universe begin? Well, God created it. Well, how did God come into being? Well, let's say if you say, "Well, the universe has always been here," they go, "Well, that's ridiculous. The universe cannot always be here. It had to be created." Well, who created it? Well, God did. Well, how did God come into existence? Well, God was always been here, and so you don't see the uh, the logic in saying, "Well, God was always here," but then say it's not possible for the universe to always be here, and you see, you know, you ask them, what is the beginning of God? They'd answer without without hesitation, without hesitation. God has no beginning, and they, they don't seem to be astonished by this answer, right? So uh, the Buddha says, uh, he says, oh, bhikkhus, this cycle of continuity, which is samsara, is without a visible end. And the first beginning of beings, wandering and running around, enveloped in ignorance, and bound down by the fetters of thirst and desire is not to be perceived. 
And further on, uh, referring to ignorance, which is the main cause of this continuity of life, the Buddha states, the first beginning of ignorance is not to be perceived in a, such a way as to postulate that there was no ignorance beyond a certain point. Thus, it's not possible to say that there was no life beyond a certain point, a different point. So, uh, basically, uh, unless I start, unless I continue talking for like three years uh, about this, uh, in short, that's the meaning of the noble truth of dukkha, the first noble truth. And it's extremely important to understand this clearly because uh, as the Buddha and many teachers, uh, both before and after Buddha, by the way, before Buddha, uh, <clears throat> he who sees dukkha sees also the arising of dukkha, and he sees the cessation of dukkha, and he sees the path leading to the cessation of dukkha. But that does not make the life of a Buddhist grim or melancholy or sorrowful, as some people wrongly imagined. I lived in uh, Bloomington, Indiana for eight years, and right there in the smack of, is the uh, uh, Mongolian Cultural Center, which was uh, operated by the Dalai Lama's brother. His uncle and his nephew also lived in Bloomington, Indiana, which means the Dalai Lama himself often visited, and you would see him running around Bloomington. I have a kata, a scarf, that was given to me and blessed by the Dalai Lama. Um, and um, the uh, Tibetan monks were always running around laughing and um, smiling, and you talked to them, and they were always so happy. And uh, you'd attend uh, Dharma talks uh, if you were past a certain uh, level of experience with Buddhism. And uh, you know, I remember thinking, man, if someone just walked in on this, they would think, God, you all are a grim bunch. <laughs> all this talk about suffering and stuff. And uh, uh, the Theravadan uh, uh, Sangha in Terre Haute, uh, which is my branch. I'm not a Tibetan Buddhist. I'm not a Dalai Lama Buddhist. Uh, uh, although I really enjoy hanging out with Tibetans. Uh, the Theravadan Sangha up in uh, Terre Haute, very similar. Uh, the Theravadans uh, are the uh, older school. It's called School of the Elders. And uh, I used to go up and uh, take meditation instruction. And uh, very similar. Um, uh, but, you know, people come, God, you can't just sit there and talk about suffering all the time. And um, you get morbid. Uh, you can. Yeah. But you got to have the remedies. And um, um, uh, the, the practice Buddhist is really one of the happiest of beings. Um, there are no fear, no anxiety, always calm and serene, and cannot be upset or dismayed by changes or calamities because he sees things as they are, right? Not as you want them to be, not as you hope they would be, not based on fairy tales, not based on uh, uh, hopes and fears and anxieties, but as they are. You see things as they are. You see the world as it is. And the Buddha was never melancholy or gloomy. He was described by his contemporaries as ever smiling. And in all the paintings and sculptures, the Buddha is always represented being serene and contented uh, expression. There's never any expression of suffering or agony or pain to be seen. And uh, uh, I'll tell you an anecdote, tell you a story. Uh, uh, it's, it's a very funny thing that um, most Chinese and Asians who come to this country uh, convert to Christianity so they can fit in, right? And uh, I've talked to a, a lot of owners in Chinese restaurants um, over time, and a lot of them are Christians. And uh, 
so, um, so a friend of mine asked um there, there was a, uh, a guy a guy I've known for 25 years he owns a Chinese restaurant here in town and uh and he was asking him about Buddhism he goes I really don't know much about Buddhism he said my father might but he said we're we're all Christians and he goes well, why don't you have Jesus in here you have all these fat buddhas and he said well he said what do you think is better uh for a Chinese buffet the fat happy buddha or the or, or the scrawny jew nailed to a cross <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I, oh my God, it was just so funny. Um, and uh, and uh, that's right. So um, you know what what stimulates your appetite more, right? So, uh, but it does show you a difference in the philosophy of the religions, right? Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, when you see uh, there's a statue, the Theravad, the Theravadan statue of Buddha. He's laying on his side with his hand. Uh, with his head propped up on his hand, that's called the lion's posture. That's Buddha's deathbed. That's Buddha dying. He died very peacefully, very serenely. He went into a meditative uh, absorption and died. Uh, compared to the uh, gruesome death of Christ, which is often portrayed in a very exaggerated manner, uh, bleeding, the the hands clutched in agony, the face contorted in uh, pain to uh, uh, get across the uh, the horrendous pain that he uh, suffered at the time of his death. And as Buddha entered his final release, the Parinibbana, uh, he did so peacefully. And his last words to his monks, he said, my bhikkhus, all things in existence are impermanent and subject to decay. Work on your own salvation with diligence. Let's do station identification while I figure out what I want to talk about next, and uh, we'll be right back. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30. The Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays, 1 to 2. And Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Ah, yes, our good sponsors, Lucky Mojo. It's wonderful people. Wonderful people. We're going through tough times now. I think it's really important to spend a lot of time on this concept of suffering. And what causes it? Although there's suffering in life, um, uh, followers of uh, Buddhism uh, do not become gloomy over it. Uh, they shouldn't become angry or impatient. One of the principal evils in life, uh, you know, according to the Dharma, is repugnance or hatred. And repugnance, the the Pali word is uh, pratiga. Pratiga is explained as ill will with regard to living beings, with regard to suffering, and with regard to things pertaining to suffering. And in the Abhidharma, it says its function is to produce a basis for unhappy states and bad conduct. Now, that's very important. 
its function is not to produce unhappy states and bad conduct, but its function is to produce a basis. It's what it's built on, a basis for unhappy states and bad conduct. So it's considered um, uh, unskillful to be impatient at suffering. Uh, being impatient or angry at suffering doesn't remove it. It just adds a little more to your troubles. It adds fuel to it, right, and aggravates and exacerbates a situation that's already disagreeable. So what's more skillful is not anger or impatience, but the understanding of the question of suffering, how it comes about and how to get rid of it, and then work accordingly with patience, intelligence, and determination and energy and figure out a way around it. Um, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. There's a um, uh, I hurt my shoulder uh, a few months ago and I ignored it. Uh, I thought, well, I'll tough through this. And it got worse and worse until I couldn't even use my arm. I went and got surgery a month ago and I'm in physical therapy. And there's a lot of physical pain involved with it. I, I won't lie to you. It really hurts. And uh, and it's funny when I um, my reaction to it is, um, you know, there is pain, which is what you do in Buddhism, you don't say it's not my, it's not my pain. There's no I to this, right? Uh, there is pain, but it's not my pain. And um, so I was talking to my doctor about it, and he said, he said, you know, I can't help but notice when you talk about your pain, you're smiling. And he said, uh, why? And I said, um, I said because I'm happy and. Uh, uh, he said, you're happy? You're in pain? I said, no, I'm happy because um, I'm, I'm in good spirits. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it, I said, I, I don't know how to explain this to you, but um, I, I'm happy I'm getting better. Um, and, and the pain doesn't affect that. And does that make sense to you? And he said, it, it sort of does. And uh, he said, on, on a scale of one to ten, where would you put your pain right now? I said, about eight or nine. I said, it's pretty it's pretty bad, but it's not my pain. Don't Don't say it's my pain. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't, I don't know how many people understand that, but, um, you know, like right now it really hurts. I'm talking, you know, as I'm talking to you right now, it really hurts, but it's not, you know, affecting the, the happiness I have at, you know, being here doing the show. Um, uh, I'm not taking painkiller right now. I, I stopped taking painkiller a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, um, but I don't have repugnance or, um, ill will toward this pain, um, a uh, very skillful monk told me when I had a sciatica when I was in my uh, early thirties and he said, John, sit with that, sit with it and ask yourself, ask that pain. How are you? How are you doing? Take it in your, take it in your lap and comfort it. I said, comfort my back. He said, no, 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 no. He said, comfort the pain. So take the pain in your lap and comfort it and say, how are you? What can I do for you? And he said, as if it were a, uh, a suffering child. And he said, don't make the pain yours. He said, that's not your pain. There is pain, but it's not your pain. You, you are not that pain. He said, take the pain in your lap and comfort it. And if you can do this with everything that, um, oh, that sciatica, you know, if you ever had sciatica, it really hurts. It's the worst pain you'll ever experience. But Take it outside of yourself and treat it with compassion. Um, treat that pain with compassion, and it changes it, um, and it becomes a um, uh, an object of compassion. And you find that it transforms any kind of fear or reversion or repugnance you feel toward it. Changes into compassion, and the whole experience becomes different. Um, 
and it takes practice because all your life you've been taught that pain is a bad thing to avoid. And the same thing with emotional pain. Emotional pain is the same way. We're, we're taught to move away from pain and toward pleasure. And with emotional pain, and I, I try to talk to people about this. A lot of people don't want to hear it. You know, it's, oh, my God, I want to kill him. I want to kill her. They hurt me. I want to hurt him back. What if you took that hurt and comforted it and used the, you know, showed compassion for it? Well, I don't want to show compassion for him. I don't want to show compassion. No, no, not for him or her, but what you feel, that emotion you feel right now. Comfort it. And I think this is beyond the uh, uh, the growth level of uh, a lot of people. And, and I wish I had more people that were ready for that, you know, ready to say, you know, you're right. Other people don't have the right to have that much power over me, but – Unfortunately, all all of all of media, all of television, all of music is about getting even, um, nurturing pain, um, broken heart, you know, this sort of thing. Um, so, uh, Buddhism is uh, quite opposed to this idea of the melancholic, sorrowful, gloomy attitude of mind, which is actually romanticized, right? You know, my heart's broken. I have one true love. Now my heart, I'll never love again. Uh, I'm the uh, melancholy artist, uh, the tortured uh, soul. Uh, it's romanticized. There's nothing romantic about suffering. You know, there's nothing romantic about poverty, nothing romantic about any of this. It's stupid. It's dumb. And it's interesting to remember here that joy, which is called pity in Buddhism, that happiness, joy, is one of the seven factors of illumination. Being happy leads to illumination. Suffering, right? So, dukkha arises from this thirst, this craving, which is called tanha. It produces reexistence and rebecoming, which is called panabhava. Panabhava. Um, it's often believed that Buddhists believe in reincarnation. Buddhists do not. That's Hinduism. There is a thing called rebirth, though. Reincarnation implies that there is a soul and an identity that's reborn, which means that if, if I'm reincarnated as a squirrel, there's some remnant of my identity in that squirrel. Um, in Buddhism, if there is a rebirth as a squirrel, that's a squirrel. There's no John left, but there is a continuity of uh, Pernbarva occurs every moment of this existence. In Buddhism, it's believed that Pernbarva does not cease at the moment the body dies. That Pernbarva continues. There's no re it, it, there's no reason to believe that it begins at the birth of the body or ends at the death of the body. No reason to believe that it's not a continuous process. At what Pernbarva? Rebecoming, rebecoming, and it's bound up with this idea of desire. It's the desire to experience. It is, for lack of a better way of explaining it, which would take days um, in Buddhist psychology. It's awareness, the quality of awareness. 
that is reborn. People say, well, what's reborn if it's not a soul? Well, awareness, the quality of awareness, because it is believed that it takes the awareness of a previous being that awareness cannot arise. Okay. This which is aware cannot arise out of matter, which is inert, dead, unaware. That's like a uh, uh, an axiom of Buddhism. The brain cannot produce awareness on its own. In Western uh, science, I say, yes, it can. Consciousness is an epiphenomenon of the brain. And by the way, there's no proof, there's no evidence of that whatsoever, none whatsoever. And many uh, cognitive scientists are saying the brain cannot produce awareness, cannot produce consciousness. There's nothing there that can do it. So consciousness must be outside the brain or not, or uh, not an, an, epi, an epiphenomenon of something not out, you know, something, some quantum effect or something. Uh, there's some very good literature on that. In fact, one of the guys that invented brain mapping said we cannot figure out where consciousness comes from. It cannot be in the brain. So um, in Buddhism, it's like, well, sure it's not. It comes from a previous being. It's called a garbatha, being waiting to be born. Um, so at the moment of death, there's a thing called death consciousness, which conditions birth consciousness of another being. Not necessarily a human. That depends on what's called uh, birth karma. Um, so the moment of death is very important to a Buddhist. A Buddhist wants to die with a clear mind, uh, un, unconstrained by fear, anxiety, and don't want his mind clouded. So a lot of Buddhists will not take painkiller when they're dying. They say, no, keep that shit away from me. Uh-uh. So this thirst and this desire and this greed and craving um, manifests itself in so many different ways, all forms of suffering. And it also is why there's a continuity of beings. That's why beings arise from this desire for existence, this desire to experience, this desire to hold on to things. Um, and, but it's not the first cause, this desire. It's one of the chain of causes. Um, there's no first cause because according to Buddhism, everything is relative and interdependent. So even this thirst, which is considered as the cause or origin of dukkha, depends for its arising on something else, which is sensation. Without sensation, you can't have the thirst, right? And sensation arises depending on contact, which is your senses coming in contact with stuff. And sensation arises depending on uh, uh, contact and so on and so forth. Uh, contact arises on consciousness, uh, etc. And there's a big cycle called condi condition genesis, which I did about six episodes on uh, way back when, and I'll talk about it again if you want me to. Um, but conditioned genesis is a very advanced teaching. Um, and if you can break any one of those chains in conditioned genesis, boom, no rebirth. You have reached nirvana. So thirst is not the first and only cause of suffering or dukkha, but it's the, the most immediate cause, and it's the uh, principal thing. And there are many places in the original polytexts that are attributed directly to the Buddha that the definition of um, of the uh, origin of dukkha includes other defilements and impurities um, to thirst, but thirst is always given first place. So within this um, necessarily limited discussion, um, um, it'll be sufficient if you remember thirst has its at its center the false idea 
of self arising out of our ignorance of the nature of reality. So thirst includes not only desire for and attachment to sense pleasures and wealth and power, but also desire for and attachment to ideas, ideals, views, opinions, theories, conceptions, and beliefs. According to the Buddha's analysis, all the troubles and strife in the world, from little bitty personal quarrels to all that crap on the Internet, um, all the stuff between uh, the never-Trumpers and the always-Trumpers, all that, um, to great wars between nations and countries arise out of this selfish thirst. And from this point of view, all the economic, political, social problems are rooted in this selfish thirst. Great statesmen, politicians, heroes who try to settle international disputes and talks of war and peace, and they only do this in terms of economic and political terms, they're only scraping the surface. They're only touching the, the basic symptoms. They never go deep into the real root of the problem. And everyone that even looks at this in a very simple way uh, will find that if they, if, they, if they track it down, if they analyze it at all, will admit that all the evils in the world are produced by selfishness and desire. Not difficult to understand. But what's hard to understand is how this desire, how this tanha can produce re-existence and re-becoming, right? That's a problem not so easy to grasp, and we've only got about four minutes. Um, but that's why you have to discuss this really deep idea of the second noble truth. And you got to have a theory about the idea of karma, <laughs> it's associated with rebirth. So there are these nutriments um, in the sense of cause or conditions for the existence of a being. You've got to have ordinary food, you know, like a sandwich, right? Contact of your sense organs, which includes mind, consciousness, and mental volition or will. And of these four, the last mention, that vol mental volition is the will to live, to exist, to re-exist, to continue, to increase, you know, to become more and more. The desire to become more and more, to have more. And that creates the root of existence and continuity. Striving by way of good and bad actions. And it's the same as volition, right? The One of the skandhas. And we, we talked about that earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, volition is karma, that Buddha said. Volition is karma. Volition doesn't cause karma. Volition doesn't is not related. Volition is karma. And referring to mental volition, the Buddha said, when one understands the nutriment of mental volition, one understands the three forms of thirst. Thus, the terms thirst, volition, mental volition, and karma, put this in the part of your brain that thinks about things all night long and keeps you awake, what I'm about to tell you. Thirst, tanha, volition, mental volition, and karma all denote the same thing. They denote the desire, the will to be, to exist, to re-exist, to become more and more, to grow more and more, to accumulate more and more and more. And this is the cause of the arising of dukkha, and this is found within the aggregate of mental formations, which is volition. One of the five aggregates is constitute a being. And this is 
probably the most important and essential point in the Buddha's teaching. Put that in the part of your brain that remembers things and keep you up all night. And it's time for us to go. We'll pick it up next week, God willing, and if Blog Talk Radio will let me. As you know, you know where to find me. And the Reverend loves you. Yeah.